I am the most censored man in all of America today, the original Joshy Cox, and I am loud, and I am proud, proud to be bringing you the highly anticipated return of the Masquerade Podcast to Spotify, formerly at, at uh, podbean.com, now we are at Spotify, and I couldn't be any happier about that, and I am couldn't be any happier just to be doing this all over again, and uh, I'm going to say the magic words right now, welcome to the masquerade, again, I'm your host, the original Joshy Cox, and uh, we took a little bit of time off from the masquerade podcast that began back in uh, 2020, was the um, the year that it all began, and went strong up until actually uh, towards the end of 2022, and I actually, I just kind of left the, um, the masquerade, I had to let it cool off a little bit uh, to work on some other projects and attend to a couple other uh, matters in life. And I have been chomping at the bit to get back at it again. Uh, just for those of you who do not know me or already are not familiar with me, um, I am founder of American Freedom Fighters and Anons. It is a uh, group on Facebook that we are looking at. It has expanded very well and looking to expand uh, outside of even Facebook. And... Uh, our hope is eventually here we'll uh, begin a, a open up a nonprofit organization and uh, become more of a community outreach uh, type of group and program that we can go out and uh, you know touch the lives of somebody uh, th th of those that need it throughout America and uh, we are a group of patriots and I think right now with uh, we are living in unprecedented times and there is no greater time than now to be a patriot and. Uh, you know, because we have to stand up and fight back for freedom. And I always say, I am a voice for patriots. Uh, I am a voice for freedom. And I am leader of Joshua Hollicks worldwide. And there are many uh, Joshua Hollicks that, that know what it, it takes and know what it means to be such. And they're all patriots as well. And, um, you know, we're, we're fighting so many different systems right now. And it, it just seems like it, it's it's never ending, really. Um I just actually did a, uh, a part on uh, TikTok, uh, three videos, actually, of the three-part series, the metaverse, a universe for uh, child trafficking. And I also, on the third part, expanded that to uh, include a telegram. And the metaverse, of course, includes three companies, uh, very big companies, and that is Facebook, that is Instagram, and that is the WhatsApp. And they are all very, very instrumental. I can tell you that right now. And then in part three, I also showed uh, just how much Telegram has evolved and being used, and what makes it scary. Um, which I, I don't, I don't agree with censorship whatsoever. I don't believe in surveillance uh, by government. I think government needs to be uh, reduced greatly uh, in its capacity. I, I believe right now between federal and state governments, they're they're operating at a combined ninety five uh, percent capacity over you know, over their constituents over the the human race, and I don't believe in that whatsoever. I think that number should actually be probably close to reversed, if anything else. Um, but at the same time, Telegram and WhatsApp prides themselves on having fully encrypted messaging. And what does that mean? That means that the, the government can't even hack across it, cannot break through the firewalls um, and surveil conversations. And I don't want the government surveilling me either. But there are certain keywords 
uh, and activities that I think that uh, with AI and with moderators and, you know, a little bit of concerted effort, I think that there's a way, there's got to be a way that you can find this and, you know, single out these people and go after them for the the heinous crimes that they're committing uh, without surveilling everybody in the world that uses, you know, the internet, the World Wide Web, or social media apps. And that's what I was actually uh, depicting was uh, the story that I was uh, sharing on TikTok and on Facebook was one of a uh, girl named Maya. She became uh, trafficked at the age of 12. That's when she uh, had her first encounter. And that was on Instagram. And it's it's a heart-wrenching story. It really is. It, it broke my heart uh, to even be the one reporting on it. But at the same time, somebody has to. Uh, these stories need to be out in the open and need to be told. So I'm going to share a little bit of that story with you. Um, it was actually a feature story last month. Uh, it was called The Long Read. It was part of uh, the Guardian.org. Guardian, of course, is a, a major uh, press or a publication out of the Washington, D.C. area. The headline reads, How Facebook and Instagram Became Marketplaces for Child Sex Trafficking. Uh, it says, Our two-year investigation suggests that the tech giant Meta is struggling to prevent criminals from using its platforms to buy and sell children for sex. And again, this was uh, supported by TheGuardian.org. Um, it was released, this uh, story, on Thursday, April 27, 2023, 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Time. And it tells a story. Um, I'll quote it uh, since I'm using it and I'm citing it. Maya Jones, uh, I guess 13, I'm sorry, not 12, 13, when she first walked through the door of, the, of Courtney's house, um, a drop-in center for victims of child sex trafficking in Washington, D.C. It was founded, uh, Courtney's house was founded by Tina Front, one of Washington, D.C.'s most prominent specialists in countering child trafficking. She has worked with hundreds of young people who have suffered terrible uh, exploitation at the hands of adults. Maya, I guess, originally told Front that she was 12, so I was correct there, when she had started receiving direct messages on Instagram from a 28-year-old man that she was not familiar with. He asked her to send him naked photos, and he said he would pay for uh, pay her $40 in exchange for each one, and then she ended up uh, eventually decided to meet him. Then came his next request, can you help me make some money? Maya explained that the man asked her to post naked for photos and to give him her Instagram password so that he could upload the photos of her to her profile. Uh, then I guess the man, who ended up now calling himself a pimp, was using her Instagram profile to advertise her for sex. Sex buyers started sending direct messages to her account wanting to make a date. The pimp negotiated prices and logistics for meeting in motels around the D.C. area. Uh, Maya told Front that she hated having sex with these strangers, but wanted to keep the pimp happy. Uh, one morning, about uh, three months after she first met the man, Front said that Maya was found by a passerby lying crumpled on the street in the southeast D.C., half-naked and confused. A sex buyer had taken her somewhere against her will. Late, uh, she later recalled being gang-raped there for hours before being dumped on the street. Front had opened Courtney's house back in 2008. The first thing she now does is asks for their Instagram handle, uh, because other social media platforms are also used to exploit young people in her care. But she says Instagram is the one that comes up most often. And, and that makes sense because it is. It's a Instagram is a picture formatted type of social media uh, platform. Now, according to the United Nations Office on Drugs and Crime, like I would really trust the United Nations, but the Internet is used by human traffickers as digital hunting fields. 
allowing them access to both customers and potential victims with children being targeted by traffickers on social media platforms. The biggest of these, Facebook, is owned by Meta, the tech giant whose platform, which also includes Instagram, are used by more than 3 billion people worldwide. In 2020, according to a report by U.S.-based not-for-profit to Human Trafficking Institute, Facebook was the platform most used to groom and recruit children by sex traffickers used 65% um, of all the, all the sex traffickers, based on an analysis of 105 federal sex trafficking cases that year. Uh, the HCI analysis ranked Instagram second most prevalent, and third, of course, was another photo uh, platform, Snapchat. Grooming refers to the period of manipulation of a victim prior to their exploitation for sex and for other purposes. Whereas child sex trafficking is a sexual exploitation of a child specifically as part of a commercial transaction. Under international law, the term refers to the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain labor. Or in the buying and selling of non-consensual sex acts, whether or not travel is involved. Because under international law, Children cannot legally consent to any kind of sex act, and anyone who profits from or pays for a sex act from a child, including profiting from or paying for photographs depicting sexual exploitation, is considered a human trafficker. I'm going to read that again. Because under international law, children cannot legally consent to any kind of sex act. Anyone who profits from or pays for sex acts from children including profiting from or paying for photographs, even depicting sexual exploitation, is considered human trafficking. But over the past few years, through interviews, survivor testimonies, U.S. court documents, and human trafficking reporting data, uh, repeated claims that Facebook and Instagram have become major sales platforms for child trafficking. Now, while Meta says it's doing all it can, uh, they say that they have seen evidence that suggests it is failing to report or even detect to the full extent of what is happening, and many of those uh, they interviewed said that they felt powerless to get the company to act. Uh, court documents and prosecutors. Friends says that in 2020 and 2021, she had discussions with Instagram about conducting staff training to help prevent child trafficking on its platforms. She says that the training didn't go ahead as planned. After a long back and forth on a video call, Instagram executives said that they would not pay front her standard fee of $3,000 for the training, instead allegedly offering $300, a lowball answer, especially when you consider that Meta is valued at about $500 billion. When we put this to Meta, they did not deny it, says uh, TheGuardian.org. What makes social media platforms so powerful is a tool for traffickers is the fact that they make it possible to identify and cultivate relationships with both victims and potential sex buyers. Traffickers can advertise, negotiate deals. Um, sellers post publicly about the girls they have available and switch to private direct messages and to discuss prices and locations with the buyers. U.S. court documents provide a graphic insight into how these platforms can be used. In one case, prosecuted in uh, Arizona back in 2019, 31-year-old Mara Felice, uh, who was convicted of conspiracy to commit sex trafficking of a child, exchanged messages on Facebook Messenger with Maisha Tolliver, who also received jail time for sex trafficking. Tolliver told police that she had one girl available for sex and photographs of two more before saying that the girls were aged 17, 16, and 14. Felice asked the question, how much was it for all of them? Tolliver responded, the 14-year-old will cost the most a couple hundred for her, but 150 for the rest. The 14-year-old Tolliver told Valise was new to the sex game. The one on the right, she said, is 16. 
Now, Tulliver and Felice exchanged more messages, arranging for Felice to uh, meet the girl at a hotel in California two days later. The final message submitted to the court was from Felice to Tulliver, saying, We're finished. She's in a restroom. Luke Oldworm, a former assistant district attorney in Boston, Massachusetts, who has investigated and prosecuted human trafficking cases for years, says that he has encountered numerous exchanges like this one. From 2019 until he left the job in October of 2022, he said his department's caseload of child uh, trafficking crimes on social media platforms had increased by about 30 percent in just three years time. 30% each year, not not from you know, start to finish, 30% each year. So that's 90% in a three-year period. He said it's in incredibly lucrative. A trafficker can make up to $1,000 a night. Many of the victims he saw were just 11 or 12 years of age, he said, and most of them were black, uh, Latinx, or LGBTQI+. Sounds like an eye chart. Uh, according to Goldworm, while his investigations involved every social media platform, meta platforms were the ones he encountered most often. Six other prosecutors in several different states told us that, in their experience, Facebook and Instagram are being widely used to groom children and traffic children. Five of these prosecutors spoke of their anger over what they felt were Meta's unnecessary delays in complying with judge-signed warrants and subpoenas needed to gather evidence on sex trafficking cases. He said, we get a higher rate of rejected warrants from Facebook than any other electronic service provider, claimed Gary Ernstdorf, a senior deputy prosecuting attorney for King County in Washington State. He said, what I find frustrating is that the exchange can delay rescuing a victim by as much as a month. The responsibility of reporting. Now, here's where things can get tricky. Three of these prosecutors described experiences where they say the company would cite technicalities, picking faults with wording, formats, slowing down investigations. Claims, uh, the company said claims were false. However, uh, by law, the company is required to report any child sexual abuse imagery shared over its platform to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, NCMEC. Now, here's the kicker, though. Meta just happens to be a major funder of NCMEC. So Mark Zuckerberg and Meta is a major funder of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and holds a seat on the company's board. How convenient, right? Now, unlike the child sexual abuse imagery, there is no legal requirement to report child sex trafficking. So NCMEC must rely on all social media companies to be proactive in searching for and reporting it. Now, this legal inconsistency, the fact that child sexual abuse imagery must be reported, but reporting child sex trafficking is not legally required, is a major problem, uh, says Stacey Shahan, vice president of the Analytical Services Division at NCMEC. It's concerning, she says, across the board, how little trafficking is being reported. Social media companies are prioritizing what's legally required. And that, yeah, and see, that's, that's really messed up, the, the fact that imagery, but... Anything else that leads to or alludes to possible uh, trafficking, no. Why? Because sex trafficking is the largest industry in the world today. It's bigger than oil. It's bigger than chips. It, yeah, it, it is, it's, it's like they say, cash is king. That is king, especially in Southeast Asia and uh, overseas. But we lose thousands per year out of America, thousands of children stolen from homes to, to help fuel and uh, continue feeding this, this disgusting industry. Between 2009-2019, a 10-year uh, period, Meta reported just three cases as suspected child sex trafficking in the United States to NCMEC, and that is according to records disclosed in a subpoena request seen by The Guardian. Ten years and only three reported cases as suspected of child sex trafficking in the U.S. Wow.
A Meadow spokesperson claimed that over the past decade, the company had reported tens of thousands of accounts which violated her policies against child sex trafficking and commercial child sexual abuse material to NCMEC. Uh, when the Guardian put that claim uh, to NCMEC, their response was it said that it had not received tens of thousands of reports of child sex trafficking from Meta. Haney uh, Farid is a professor at the University of California, Berkeley, who helped invent the photo DNA technology that Meta uses to identify harmful content. And he even said he believes Meta, which is currently valued, at, again, at more than $500 billion, could do more to combat child trafficking. And it could, for instance, be investing more to develop better tools to flag suspicious words and phrases on unencrypted parts of the platform, including coded language around grooming. This is fundamentally not a technological problem, but one of corporate priorities. There is a separate debate about how to handle encryption. Meta's plans to encrypt uh, direct messages on Facebook Messenger and Instagram has recently drawn criticism from law enforcement agencies, including the FBI and Interpol. In response to Freed's claims and further questions from The Guardian, Meta did not specify how much money it has invested in technologies to detect child sex trafficking. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, then they ended up bringing in... Um, a gentleman who goes by uh, the last name Davis, uh, let's see here, but said that it had focused on using AI and machine learning on non-private, unencrypted parts of its platform to identify harmful content and accounts and make it easier for people to report messages to the company so we can take action, including referrals to law enforcement. Uh, Davis also emphasized that Meta constantly works with partners to improve its anti-trafficking safeguards. For instance, she mentioned that we've been able to identify the kinds of searches that people do when they're searching for trafficking content so that when people get this, uh, when people search for that, we will pop up with information to divert them or to let them know that what they're doing is illegal activity. Yeah, and when somebody's committed to something and has their mindset on it, like that's really going to stop them. So here is the, uh, the modern moderators of uh, Meta. These efforts have failed to satisfy some of Meta's own investors. In March, several pension investment funds that own Meta stock launched legal action against the company Meta in Delaware over its alleged failure to act on systemic evidence that its platforms are facilitating sex trafficking and child sexual exploitation. By offering insufficient explanation of how it is tackling these crimes, the complaint says, the board has failed to protect the interests of the company. Meta has rejected the basis for the lawsuit, saying, Quote, our goal is to prevent people who seek to exploit others from using our platform, end quote. Notice it doesn't say they go after any traffickers or anything like that. They just try to, people that exploit other people, they just try to, you know, give them reason to not, you know, try to persuade them to not be there. Uh, as well as software, Meta uses teams of human moderators to identify cases of child grooming and sex trafficking. Uh, until recently, Anna Walker, who worked a night shift in an office of a Meta subcontractor, uh, she would start each shift filled with dread. We were just like shoved in a dark room to look at the stuff, she said. Walker's job was to review interactions between adults and children on Facebook Messenger and Instagram direct messenger that had flat been flagged as suspicious by Meta's AI software. Walker claimed she and her team had uh, struggled to keep pace with the huge backlog of cases. She said she saw cases of adults grooming children and then making plans to meet them for sex as well as discussions about payment in exchange for sex acts. Walker's managers would pass on such cases to Meta to decide if action should be taken against the user. Walker claims in some cases, quote, months would pass and then the automatic bot would send me an email saying it was closing this case because nobody's taken action on it, unquote. She continued, quote, I would cry to my manager about the children I saw and how I want to help, but it felt like nobody would pay attention to these horrible things, unquote. 
Now, Guardian talked to uh, six other moderators who worked for companies that met a subcontract in between 2016 and 2022. All made similar claims to Walker. Their efforts to flag and escalate possible child trafficking on meta platforms often went nowhere, they said. On one post I reviewed, there was a picture of this girl that looked about 12 wearing the smallest lingerie you could imagine, said one former moderator. They continued, quote, they listed prices for different things explicitly, like a blowjob is this much. It was obvious that it was trafficking, unquote. She claims that her supervisor later told her no further action had, be taken, had been taken in that case. Five of the moderators claimed that it was harder to get cases escalated or content taken down if it was posted on closed Facebook groups or Facebook Messenger. Meta would be less stringent about something taking place behind closed doors, claimed one team leader. With Messenger, we really couldn't make any moves unless the language and content was really obvious. If it was four guys who trusted each other and it was in a group, it could just live on forever. In 2021, former Facebook employee and whistleblower Francis Hogan or Hagen, uh, leaked internal documents that seemed to support the moderator's claims. These documents, which numbered thousands of pages, detailed how the company managed harmful content. In one memo from the Hagen leak, the company states the messenger groups with less than 32 people should be treated with a full expectation of privacy. So no matter what the suspicion is, if they're a group of 32 people, or, or I'm sorry, a group of less than 32 people, then they should be left alone and there should, uh, you know, there should, they shouldn't even key in on code words, basically. Uh, Mattis Cruz, who worked as a content moderator from 2018 to 2020, reviewing Spanish language posts on Facebook, believes that the criteria that Meta was using to recognize trafficking was too narrow to keep up with traffickers, who would constantly switch code words to avoid detection. Uh, Cruz said traffickers would say, I have this cabra, Spanish for goat, for sale, and it'd be some really ridiculous price. Sometimes they would just outright say the price for a night or two or even an hour. It was obvious what was going on, Cruz said, and the managers would claim it was too vague, so in the end, they would just leave the content up. Limits of the law. Cruz and three other moderators uh, that Guardian spoke to uh, claimed that in examples like this, where their managers felt there was insufficient evidence to escalate the case, moderators could receive lower accuracy scores in, in terms of their uh, job assessment, which in turn would affect their performance assessments and probably uh, subsequently pay as well. Um, and Cruz said, quote, we would take negative hits on their accuracy scores to try to get some help to these people, unquote. In 1996, the U.S. Congress passed the Communications Decency Act, which was primarily intended to ensure online pornographic content was regulated. But Section 230, and I'm sure you've heard of this one before, uh, Section 230 of the Act states that providers of interactive computer services, which includes the owners of social media platforms and website hosts, should not be treated as a publisher of material posted by users. This section was included in the Act to ensure the free flow of information while protecting the growing tech industry from being crushed by litigation. I mean, I, I think, honestly, at the end of the day, it's, it's still their, their property. They, they should be held accountable. That's just my own personal opinion now. Whereas a newspaper, say, must legally defend what it publishes, Section 230 means that a company like Meta, which hosts the content of others, may not be held liable for what appears on its platform. Section 230 therefore positions internet service providers as fundamentally neutral, offering forums in which illegal, harmful, or false content may be posted and circulated, but ultimately not responsible for that content. Since the passing of the act, tech companies such as Meta have argued successfully in courts across the U.S. that Section 230 provides them with complete immunity from prosecution for any illegal content published on their platforms as long as they are unaware of that content's existence. And they're not unaware, and that, but that's that's one of those bylaws that are going to get you know help them uh, sneak it through the door and, and get away with it. It's a loophole. 
Um, even after children have been referred to Courtney's house, they continue to be vulnerable to traffickers. One night in June 2021, Front says she got a call from Maya telling her she had arrived home safe. Front was relieved. She knew that Maya had spent the evening with a 43-year-old man who had been contacting her on Instagram. Front says that Maya, now 15 at the time, was in a fragile state. Over the previous few months, her mental health had been in sharp decline, and she had told Front that she'd been feeling suicidal. Photos and explicit videos taken by a pimp showing her having sex were being circulated and sold on Instagram. See, it makes me sick just to even, like, tell the story, but it needs told. It has to be known. Sex buyers were contacting her relentlessly through her direct messages. She didn't know how to make it stop or how to say no, Front recalled. That night on the phone, Front told Maya that she loved her and that they would talk in the morning. That's the last time I ever spoke to her, Front said. The older man had given Maya drugs. When Maya's mother went to wake her daughter the next morning, she found her dead. A picture of Maya that still hangs on a wall of Courtney's house shows a baby-faced teenager or baby-faced teenage girl with brown curls and a huge smile. Two years after her death, Front continues to grieve for her caring girly girl who loved makeup, board games, and dancing to her favorite Megan the Stallion songs. She said losing one of her youth changes you forever. You can never forgive yourself, Front said. Now, before Maya died, Front claims that she had spoken to Instagram with a video call asking them to remove the exploitive uh, content her trafficker had circulated. Front says that when Maya died, the videos of her exploited were still on the platform. In July 2021, a representative from an anti-trafficking organization sent an email to Instagram's head of youth policy informing her of Maya's death. Front was copied in on the email. It asked why Maya's tools... Uh, why, I'm sorry, it asked why Meta's tools designed to detect grooming did not flag the 43-year-old man contacting a young girl. Four days later, the company sent a brief reply saying, if Instagram was provided with details about the alleged trafficker's account, it would investigate. But Front says it, that was, it was too late. She had already passed. They could have done something to help her, but they didn't. She was gone. That was a quote from, of course, Front. Uh, there's also, uh, in the U.S., you can call or text the Child Help Abuse Hotline on 1-800-422-4453. I'm going to say that number again. In the United States, call or text the Child Help Abuse Hotline 1-800-422-4453. In the UK, the NSPCC offers support to children on 800-1111. And adults concerned about a child on 808-800-5000. The National Association for People Abused in Childhood, known as NAPAC, offers support for adult survivors on 808-801-0331. In Australia, children, young adults, parents, and teachers can contact the Kids Helpline on 1-800-55-1800 or Bravehearts on 1-800-272-831. And adult supervisors can contact Blue Knot Foundation on 1300-657-380. Other sources of help can be found at Child Helplines International. So if you know anybody uh, that you suspect of being trafficked, for God's sakes, you got to make a change. You got to you got to be the one to initiate because too many people are sitting at home right now. And I know it, it's a very, um, very edgy. It, it's a very uh, serious matter, and it can make many people feel uncomfortable. And the thought of it, like I said, it, it makes me sick to my stomach right now. Uh, j just reporting on this. But you know what? If we continue to ignore it because of the veracity and because of how disgusting it is, and we, it's easier for us to not think about it, you're only facilitating it further. You're condoning it in a sense. Uh, you're becoming an enabler of traffickers, and these crimes will continue. So please, if you ever have any suspicion whatsoever, you have to make a call. If you see something, even if it doesn't involve somebody that you know personally, a friend or family member, it could be a complete stranger, something that you notice that just seems a little off that you see on social media, Media, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, um, Telegram, TikTok, uh, Snapchat, whatever the case may be, 
you have to you have to get help in some way. Obviously, meta the metaverse is not the place you may want to go. Use it. There's uh, hotline numbers that I gave you, um, and you can go online and find help from there as well. Uh, U.S. Marshals I know have done many things, and I applaud their efforts. Um, I know just about any uh, law enforcement department in the state of Florida, especially if if it's under their jurisdiction, would be more than happy to oblige and uh, you know assist in efforts to get that under control, investigate matters, and to stop it, uh, ultimately stop it. That would be the best case scenario. Now, uh, I was given an example earlier of WhatsApp and Telegram, which neither of those two were named in that story. And they really, and considering that WhatsApp is a part of the metaverse or the company Meta, if you will, Mark Zuckerberg's company, again, that includes Facebook, Instagram, and uh, WhatsApp, and then also, uh, they, they don't include that, but Telegram, which is not a part of Meta, I will uh, make that disclaimer right now, it is owned actually by a, uh, a native Russian mm -hmm. by the name of Pavel uh, Durov. And he is a billionaire, loads of money, and he is actually facing charges from a uh, judge in Tehran, Iran, uh, some international charges where he's being accused of basically facilitating or neglecting to report uh, or to, to neglecting to take action of any type. And the same thing and uh, pornographic images, child pornography and sex trafficking on that app. Because here's the thing with the WhatsApp and Telegram apps, they again, they pretty much advertise, they pride themselves on supplying the world with a fully encrypted messaging service that government is not able to surveil and you know, basically, it's going to secure and guarantee all privacy. And, and for the common man, I love that. But again, I think that we have had this trafficking has been going on for so many years, folks. Um, I think you'll find at the end of the day, that's a lot of the issues that are plaguing Disney World. As you hear more and more hotels uh, in different places at their resorts, uh, different features of the resorts are being shut down. You're going to find that so many are trafficked there uh, from there each and every year. And these people nowadays... Traffickers that don't even have to be at a, you know at a place like Disney, they will get people right off your porch, and you can be sitting right next to them. They are swift. I've seen them in work. A lot of videos. I've studied this, and they can be gone in a heartbeat. So you know, if you have a child, don't let them. Don't think that you know you, you're being an uptight parent or uh, you know have too many restraints on them or overbearing or overprotective because you don't want them to uh, be out in the yard by themselves. Uh, up until a certain age. that That's called being a good parent and loving your child. So protect your children at all costs. I am a fighter for children. If we don't protect them and fight for them, who's going to? And they are being attacked everywhere. We see it with the sexual perversion agenda uh, all over America, especially with the school systems, um, with the, the reading materials and educational materials that are replaced in these schools. I just saw last week. I don't know if you saw it or not. I saw it uh, thanks via Twitter. And I think it was actually uh, Megan Kelly that was uh, covering part of that story. And she was absolutely disgusted, as I was as well, about the, uh, the Hasbro Brothers uh, Transformers, Paramount Plus Films. Uh, their cartoon series has more than one now um, episode that actually talks about transgenderism. And we're talking about a, a demographic, an audience that is probably most realistically for, for Transformers, not being a movie, but being the actual the cartoon series. We're talking probably, what, between the ages of 2 and 10? That is not something that should be embedded into these minds. And that's how it works. It's planting a seed. And that's, that's scientific fact. There's been many case studies uh, that have concluded such.
uh, here I have some, uh, you can't see them. You, if you go to my TikTok and you look me up there, look for uh, Joshi Masquerade Cox. That is the name on TikTok. Go to, uh, go to, go to my TikTok page and you will find all the videos there that I'm, that I'm covering these stories with tonight so that you can actually see the pictures of what I'm, I'm speaking of right now from my TikTok inbox. And it's not just inbox. I get this, or it's not just TikTok's inbox. I get this all over the place. Every platform, it seems like anymore. I've gotten it on Gab Social. I've gotten it on uh, Getter. I've gotten it on Facebook, Instagram, Telegram, TikTok. It's everywhere. And I, I said on uh, my video that I did on TikTok tonight, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying that this never occurred before because it has. And I do remember getting you know, your your occasional um, spam on like Facebook or Twitter and places like that from uh, these types of accounts. But it seemed like almost overnight instantly from like January 20th on in 2021, just boom, the floodgates opened and we were living in a whole other reality, a whole new world where this was just like open market out there and nothing's done. And it has only progressed since then. My inbox from TikTok and Facebook gets filled by the day. So does Twitter. Full of this stuff. And i got enough to do. I, I use those services so I can connect with uh, with other patriots and like-minded people. Because I am still trying to fight a fight against the New World Order. And you know, provide as much knowledge as I can. Reach out to people. Let them know they're not alone. And that we can band together through unity and humanity. We can do this. Uh, and that, that's my agenda. And it takes a lot of time away from that. When I my things start getting backed up. Because of uh, needing storage space. You know, and so on and so forth, and having to come through these messages to get to the messages of, from people that I want to and need to speak with, not these individuals, which usually you can tell by the wording of these, and especially when you get three of the identical worded messages from the same person back to back to back, you know that it's somebody selling them, or it's a pimp, or it's an AI-generated um, software maybe being used that helps to distribute the information on these young girls and try to lure in customers. Um, right here is one, for example, and this is for Telegram. It says, hello, I think you're very interesting. I really want to see you. If you're a mature gentleman at the age of 28, you can add my Telegram, which I'm not going to tell you that address, obviously, over the air. But yeah, And then they even get into even more specifics. You know, what country you come from, what age you are, and then tells you what country that person comes from. And then they get into some really bizarre ones. Um, hello, I find you very interesting and would love to meet you if you are 30 plus and a mature gentleman. You can add me on WhatsApp. That was from another uh, TikTok user. Uh, let me see here. Here's one. Hi, my name is Mina. I am 39 years old, single. And, and of course, it says Mina, but yet the, the name at the top of the profile says Kate A, but it says, hi, my name is Mina. I'm 39 years old, single. I live in New York, and I saw your TikTok, and I think you are humorous and mature, and I like your type of man, too. If you're over 39 and me the same as American, I want to have a good chat with you. I don't use TikTok very much. I think you can add my WhatsApp. No, I don't think I can, Kate. Sorry, or Mina, or whoever you are. Uh, here's a couple more. This is my WhatsApp and the message below. Hello, I hope to find a sincere feeling on TikTok. I am lucky to get your attention. You didn't really get my attention, sweetheart. Sorry. Of course, we can share the wonderful and daily life in life. If you're a man over 35 years old, now they're even telling you so you don't throw off any triggers whatsoever. And this is how I know it's got to be a pimp or some sort of a, a selling service. Please don't talk about pornography. Please add my WhatsApp, it says. 
Hello, one of my Australian Chinese currently living in the United States, and I am glad to meet you on TikTok. If you are an American over 30 years old, I hope we can be friends. I'd like to, I'd like to travel more places to learn more about more culture, customs, no pornography and sexual harassment, share more about each other. Please add my WhatsApp. Uh, here's more. Hello, I think you're very interesting. I really want to see you. If you're a mature gentleman at the age of 30, you can add my WhatsApp. Now, the same exact message, like in my inbox, attached to that is a recurring message that says, Hello, I think you're very interesting. I really want to see you. If you're a mature gentleman at the age of 28, you can add my Telegram from the same account. It, it, it's just, it's insane. It is absolutely insane. Uh, here's one. I, hi, I think you're very interesting. If you're over 30 and a mature gentleman, I'd love to meet you. Don't talk about sex and read language. You can add me on WhatsApp. And I got three of those same exact worded messages. Uh, actually make that four. There's another one. Hello, my bestie is a beautiful girl. My bestie is looking for a genuine relationship to share each other's daily life every day. If you are over 30, please add her telegram. So why can't your bestie just do that for herself and advertise herself? Probably because it's not really your bestie. Here's one. Hello, my good friend is a beautiful girl. My good friend is looking for a real relationship and sharing each other's daily life every day. If you're an American gentleman, please add her WhatsApp. Here's one with three messages, exactly the same, all saying Telegram. Here's another one that says a mature gentleman at the age of 28, Telegram. So I don't know what's up with the 28 and the 30 thing here, but um, hello, I'm glad to meet you on TikTok. If you're a single American over 30 years old, my best friend from Asia is looking for a mature American man. She prefers to be friends with a gentleman, no porn and sexual harassment. Hope you can add her on Telegram. Why can't your friend do that herself? Here's one over 30. Same thing, WhatsApp, WhatsApp, and then a third WhatsApp. All from the same person. Or what appears to be the same person, I should say. The same exact thing again where I'm seeing. Hello, I'm glad to meet you on TikTok. If you're a single American over 28 years old, my best friend from Asia is looking for a mature American man. She prefers to be friends with a gentleman. No porn and sexual harassment. Hope you can add her on Telegram. Now, this one really threw me off. Hi, I have a sister and I am helping her find a life partner. She is still single for work reasons. Single for work reasons. Why would you have to say single for work? Oh, because you are probably out doing different jobs. I'm using air quotations. You can't see me, but I am. Um, looking for a serious and respectful relationship. A gentleman over 30 years old. Don't talk about sex. If you're interested in her, you can add her telegram. So she's single for, still single for work reasons. Because she's being pimped out and sold to other men. That, that would make sense. Now, here's when they switch the age and the same exact uh, same exact account holder on, on TikTok that sends this message. The first message says, hello, I think you're very interesting. I really want to see you. If you're a mature gentleman at the age of 30, you can add my WhatsApp. Now, just below that says, hello, I think you're very interesting. I really want to see you. If you're a mature gentleman at the age of 28, you can add my WhatsApp. So I don't know how the, the two years got knocked off there, but I'm well over both those ages. So I'm not going to fall into that category. So good luck with that one. Uh, WhatsApp, 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 three times in that one uh, one message there. And then there's another WhatsApp. I mean, I, I didn't actually count these, but it, it's got to be an exorbitant number, I would think.
It, it absolutely would have to be. Here's another telegram. And these are just a couple that I pulled out and screenshot really quickly uh, to take a look at and use as examples. Here's two more telegrams. I mean, I, I get, I said, I guarantee since I opened up this TikTok account, which was back in, uh, back in very early February, I bet you any money, I probably have received well over 2,000 of these messages. And that is no exaggeration whatsoever. None. Uh, here's one. Nice to meet you. Hope you hope to meet a sincere person and have a wonderful relationship. If you can communicate in English, can you add my WhatsApp? No, Elsa, I cannot. Same exact thing, but from somebody named Abby, an American name, although it's an Asian girl. But th this is just the craziness that we are dealing with in today's world. Like I said, between that uh, and they're just putting it right out there. And th that's what that story talked about is directing using the initial platforms such as Facebook and Instagram to to advertise and to put out the available product. And then once it's time to buy, it's almost like having a landing page. And then you take them somewhere else to seal a deal. And that's what they're doing here. Then they'll take you to WhatsApp or Telegram, the two highly encrypted message uh, message services. Um, I saw the Telegram services over 700 million uh, account holders monthly per month. And then what we see with uh, with Facebook in the metaverse, you know, over 3 billion uh, users. So they are reaching such a wide scale audience. And then there's a story that I was reading about Pavel Durov, who is the owner, again, the, the Russian billionaire owner of Telegram. Uh, originally, it was a partnership between he and his brother. The one brother ended up, uh, I guess, too much heat, whatever he wanted out. He got out of there. Uh, Pavel kept controlling interest and uh, continues to run operations day to day now. And yeah, they were talking about the, the judge in Tehran, Iran, uh, and trying to charge him with some of these crimes. And... You know, they their defense was we even block pornographic material and you know these these uh, child imageries from going to Iran or certain countries that we already know by their laws that we have to block it from going there. So if you have to block it and you're admitting that you know it's there, but you're not saying that you block it everywhere else, just certain countries. So right there was an admission of guilt that I'm sure that the person that uh, wrote the article that I was reading uh, prior to coming on air here tonight on Spotify with the Masquerade Podcast. I don't even know if that probably sunk into them. To me, that kind of stuff sticks out as triggers, and it's common sense to me. Immediately. Uh, I don't understand how that, that doesn't set off all the red flags and the alarms, the alerts to everybody else uh, that, that goes over this stuff. Because it does me. I, I can tell you that. Um, maybe it's because I'm so passionate about uh, stopping that, that actual industry and that crime. And I hate to tell you, folks, it's, just, it's my opinion. Uh, there is some evidence that backs up and uh, uh, responsible for the formulating of my opinion that supports the opinion. But and that is that this uh, proxy war that we are involved in in Ukraine between the Ukrainians and the Russians, a lot of it has to do with child sex trafficking. Not that they're fighting over you know rights to their product. It's I truly believe that uh, President Putin is trying to expose that. And you have to think about it like this when the war began, you know, Ukrainian, the Ukrainians were not known to have a, a military like that of the United States. They don't, ha they didn't have that reputable military. Many people were being pulled. It was like a draft, uh, except for everyone. Any male was basically told at that point in time in the very infancy of the war that if you're a man, you need to get your kids, your wife and your kids to the border countries 
get them there as quickly as possible. Say your goodbyes, hug them, kiss them. You might not ever see them again for a multitude of reasons. And then you need to get to training and you're going to be a soldier now. You know, and you could be like, well, you know, I've never even picked up a, a gun before and I've never run. I'm out of shape and I've always just been a nerd that, you know, plays in a science laboratory. Well, guess what? You're going to be a soldier now. And they force these people to get rid of their wives and their kids and take them to the border and then they drop them off and then they go make them fight this war. And they ship them off somewhere. They don't even know where they're going at the time. The husband doesn't know. He's just told you, you, if you're lucky, you'll see them later. You need to go to war now. So who's going to protect those women and children and basically force them to hand them over? And they, and especially in Poland, they put them on trains in so many areas, putting them on trains, and God only knows where the destination was. Now, I bring this up because, for one, I've always known um, that Ukraine, you, you know, I'm sure everybody has heard about, like, male rush, uh, rush order male brides. Uh, you order them and... You know, and they come in the mail, basically. They show up at your door, and you order them online, or back in the day, I guess, out of a catalog. And that used to be a popular phrase in America, was about, you know, your, your mail-order Russian brides and, and Ukrainian. And a lot of times, they were Ukrainians, and because they speak the same language and they're next door to each other, they, they end up being called Russian because, you know, it was a little more common of a, of a country, um, more familiar and easier to say, I guess. But it's always been a thing, and I've always been told that Poland has been known for the same. And they're all bordering countries there. And now you see as the, the NATO allies are lining themselves up, who's making the allegiances? Who's building these alliances and who's working together? I mean, Biden has taken how many trips to Poland? That was one of his main concerns immediately was Poland uh, when this war first began and about making sure that their borders were secure and that they were able to defend themselves against any type of an onslaught uh, in case Russia or somebody would uh, retaliate. Um, and they've been in contact ever since with Poland has supplied Ukraine tremendously with uh, military and financial aid as well, not to the tune of our American tax dollars. Uh, and there's still no auditor general um, being placed on this war in Ukraine. I, I thought that was going to be a, you know, a mandatory thing. And I really thought that was one of the bargaining tools uh, in, in regards to having Kevin McCarthy, Speaker of the House, a an establishment Republican, complete rhino, a uh, member of the World Economic Forum, and if you're a, a, a supporter of that organization, then this show is probably not for you. I'm not going to lie. I am honest, I'm loud, I'm proud, but I am firm in my convictions, ladies and gentlemen. And Kevin McCarthy had to basically, I mean, President Trump was the man that put him in to the speaker position. Uh, he himself was nominated for speaker and he didn't take it, which I really thought <clears throat> didn't make a whole lot of sense to me at the time. Uh, it really still doesn't, other than the fact that I guess if there would be an, an impeachment or some sort of a removal from office uh, of both president and vice president, which is a very uh, chance that there are possibilities of that normally happening are slim to none, uh, having both of them gone and removed so that the speaker would slide up into that spot because the speaker is obviously third in command uh, when it comes to filling the void in the White House in an emergency type of situation or in the absence of the first two, the, the president and vice president. But without Trump, it would not have happened. McCarthy would not have become speaker of the House. I, I could tell, like Lauren Boebert, and Matt Gates were steadfast. They were not going to budge. Their votes were very much uh, needed to be able to uh, receive for McCarthy to receive the 218 votes necessary to be placed into that spot. 
and there were certain uh, negotiations that that had taken place uh, more privately between Mr. Trump and Mr. McCarthy, and they were made known to the public, or at least a, a majority of them. It would only take a, a very few <clears throat> um, to file a motion to remove the speaker. It would not take entire Congress. It would not be a lengthy progress. I think it was basically like three individuals or five uh, would all would be all that it would take. And if they have all those individuals on the motion, that the speaker could be removed right then and there without approval from the remainder of Congress. Um, that hasn't come into play yet, so we're I don't know where we're going to stand there. But the other thing that was guaranteed was that there would be, eventually it would be brought up on the House floor and presented for a bill including term limits that would remove uh, some of these these dinosaurs that, uh, yeah, we call them reptilians. Well, a dinosaur was pretty much a reptile uh, that would remove these, you know, Tyrannosaurus rexes and, uh, you know, Triceratops and everything else that we have running all over D.C. and just crumbling uh, the ground beneath it. it you know, Dianne Feinstein, that, that's a prime example. Dianne Feinstein is a... Obviously, if you don't know her, she is a senator, a Democrat senator out of the state of California. I'm not picking on her because she's Democrat. So I'm going to use Republican examples as well. But Dianne Feinstein is 89 years of age. Last week, she just finally made her return to the U.S. Senate. She had missed nearly the entire 2023 calendar year thus far. She was there a little bit in uh, January and I think maybe a week at most, I think in February before she was hospitalized. And, uh, that was something that you know was brought to the attention right away as well. Uh, she suffered all kinds of setbacks that were not uh, initially reported upon while in the hospital dealing with shingles. Um, somebody said it. Now this is just allegedly. It's, it's rumored that when she was being returned uh, to Senate, I think she was being pushed in a wheelchair actually, and she asked somebody. She looked very confused and actually said to somebody, "Where are we? Like, where are we at? Why am I here?" That's very concerning, and and then that's normal for that age. I'm not picking on elderly. But I'm sorry, there is no need or reason for a 90-year-old. She is going to be turning 90 next month. I forget if it's June 6th or June 9th. It's one of those two dates. In a matter of like two weeks, she is going to be turning 90 years of age and still serving on the United States Senate. And she still has all this year and all 2024 to go until she would be up. And that is when her seat will be vacated. And I believe they said... Um, he had already turned his name in a hat, and that's the pencil deck, the shifty one, Adam Schiff. And he will um, basically abandon his seat in the House of Representatives. <clears throat> he is a Californian, so he knows that support for him, especially in another Democrat seat, it, it's going to be you know probably a, a very uh, viable win. It's going to be a, very possible, and if it's not, we, we know how that will go anyway, so... Uh, he will be in, I'm sure. And he wants that, I think, over the House of Representatives because, you know, it, it, I, I honestly, I wouldn't want to, I mean, I would actually love to be in the House of Representatives regardless of the conditions or the stipulations, but they have to run every two years. It would be very difficult, especially if you're somebody that is the whole way out in the state of California and then have to travel. You have to make accommodations, find a place to stay or, or sleep in your offices. I know Jim Jordan and several ones have done for many years uh, through the weeks while you're in, in session in D.C. And in all that travel, you have your constituents in your actual district offices and uh, obligations and responsibilities and events that you have to attend when you aren't in session and you do return home. 
uh, and then you have to run every two years. So how do you really get a whole lot accomplished and truly do your job and go out and speak to the people of, of America, the American people, and to feel the you know a pulse for your country when you have a campaign to run every two years? Whereas Senate is extreme. A, a seat in the U.S. Senate gives you six years locked in. Uh, you know, unless your helper would cause you to uh, resign, you know, or force a resignation of some sort, or unless you were impeached by Congress, your term in the U.S. Senate will be six years. Six years. The presidency only gets four years at a clip. Why six years? I don't understand that for the life of me. I do, I do in a sense, because the, the control of the Senate is always very, it's, it's never overwhelming. It's usually by a much, uh, a much more thin number than that of the, the House of Representatives, because there is only so many members. You, know, you have 100 members in the Senate. Um, well, actually, a little bit over 100. You have two for every state of the 50 states, and then you also have delegates from you know, Washington, D.C., and a couple of our, uh, like in the Virgin Islands, uh, our American territories. That's a lot of representation, and you, know, you don't have as many members, so you want to keep control and it's a very, you know, contested, uh, contested group that, you know, you're trying to gain entrance into. So then you get six years. And that, to me, even just in one term, that's too long. In my opinion, for term limits, I say you get a, a total, a maximum. I say you change the House of Representatives. Okay, we'll start off with that. And you make that. I'll, I'll give them four years. I, I think that's, that's fair. And you give the House of Representatives a four-year term. And in my opinion, you give them a maximum of two terms in the House. And then if it's just like in, in fighting. And that's how like UFC should be. It wasn't in the beginning. I think it's, it's starting to lean that way now. But it, it should have been a long time ago, especially when you had somebody dominant like, say, Anderson Silva, who was a long very long tenured uh, middleweight champion um <clears throat> in my opinion my humble opinion or john jones in, in the light heavyweight uh, class when you have a long term like that i think after so long you should have to compete at a higher level and that's like in fighting i think you should have to either drop or move up in weight class and i think for house of representatives you should get a maximum of two four-year terms no more than eight years total regardless of whether or not it's consecutive you get eight years if you fulfill that and you win your re-election and you fulfill your, your two uh, terms of service and you want to continue on, then you may go continue on and do it in the U.S. Senate. I think the Senate should be knocked down to four-year terms as well, and you get a maximum of two terms in the Senate. So now if you're successful in both endeavors and you serve uh, you know, two terms in, in the House, two terms in the Senate, you're already in for 16 years, which in my opinion itself might even still be a little bit too long. Uh, in terms of being in a, a an authoritarian position, in a, in a position of power. But I'll give them that. If you want to move on from there, other than a cabinet position, and I don't think former members of Congress or the Senate should be allowed to serve in the presidential cabinet. I don't think they should be allowed to all of a sudden be an unelected bureaucrat that, be, that receives an appointment because that's pay for play in a sense. You know, it, it's a reward system. Um, so I think that should be knocked out. So then if you want to go on from there uh, after Senate or House and you completed or fulfilled both of those uh, requirements, the, the next step is either to serve as vice president or president. If you go the long route and you serve as, you know, as Joe Biden did, he now he didn't do the House. He did just Senate and then VP and president. But if you want to go the long route and you get that would give you 16 years, eight in the House, eight in the Senate. Then you add another four or eight years on if you end up being a successful vice president candidate with a you know a uh, two term presidency, 
That's another eight years. Now you're up to 24 years. And then if you run for president and you end up being a two-term president yourself and you win election and then win re-election, that's another eight years. That gives you 32 years. That is more than enough. That is more, if you didn't hear me correctly, more than enough. Joe Biden uh, actually entered into his Delaware uh, senatorial position in his, into his seat in the U.S. Senate uh, to begin the 1973 uh, congressional calendar. He ran for the seventy ran in a, the seventy two election, and he he won, and he stayed there all the way through until it was time to run for uh, as he was running for president in two thousand eight, which he did not win the uh, the Democratic nomination. So then he ended up being named as the uh, vice presidential uh, running mate for one Barack Hussein Obama. So that takes you from 1973 to 2008, to 35 years. And then he did eight years as vice president. So now we're at 43 years. Now he's serving in his, uh, that would be his third year as the president. So now he's in his 46th year. I mean, to me, that that's just, it's almost absurd. It's the same situation almost uh, with Republican Senator Chuck Grassley, who began serving in the, uh, House of Representatives uh, for as a representative of Iowa in 1975 and then moved up, I believe it was in uh, 1980. Uh, he ended up moving up then to the Senate and was voted in as the senator, or 1981, I, I forget which, uh, of for representing Iowa in the U.S. Senate, and he's been there ever since. Feinstein turns 90 next month. Grassley turns 90 years of age in September. The amount of people that we have of 80, 90 years old, even from 70 on, it's, it would blow your mind. And then that's just the Senate. You get into the House of Representatives where they have so many more candidates, uh, so many more elected officials. There is just a plethora of you know elderly that are in their 80s already or that are going to be turning at, you know, at least 70 by the end of this year. And that's how you – it's a dictatorship. You don't have to be a president or a prime minister of a, of a nation – to be part of a a monarch, really, or a, a dictatorship. So let's keep that in mind. I am so glad that you joined me. I am more than happy to be here at Spotify. I am very pleased. I am proud as hell. And again, my name is the original Joshy Cox. I am the most censored man in all of America today. I have been banned from uh, every app that you can probably think of, including life bans. Don't ask me how I got back on them. Can't tell you that. Secret. But I've been uh, Facebook, YouTube. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Reddit, uh, TikTok, and there's more that I'm forgetting, and I can assure you that. Uh, so to tell me that I'm not the most censored man in America, hey, the proof is in the pudding. You know what I'm saying? That's who I am, but that means I'm, I'm speaking truth, and for some reason there's certain individuals out there in the world today that they fear truth. And they aren't going to allow truth. And that's how you can tell. That To me, that a lot of times, even with fact-checking, is it, it's it's very obvious. It's plain as day. It's, it's black and white. And, that you know, it doesn't. truth doesn't discriminate, ladies and gentlemen. And neither should you, neither should I. Nobody should. We should be uniting as one. And that's my goal. Again, check me out. I'm on Facebook. Uh, you can check out American Freedom Fighters and Anons. That is my group. I am the founder and the president of that group. And uh, also go to TikTok, uh, Joshy. 
Cox Masquerade or Joshy Masquerade Cox. I forget how, which order. You can find it, I'm sure. No problems at all. Check me out on Getter, uh, J. Cox Masquerade, and then Joshy Cox Masquerade on Gab Social. I am the original Joshy Cox on Truth Social. I am all over the place, and you can find me there. You can also find uh, American uh, Freedom Fighters and Anons. A YouTube page that I have there as well. Uh, so I got plenty of options for you. You can look me up uh, with the Masquerade, Joshy Cox Masquerade on Snapchat. Um, and please do find me, send me a message, let me know what you think. And I hope that you subscribe and you come back here to see me again here on Spotify. Welcome to the Masquerade. And I invite you back for the next episode. We will be back in action and maybe we'll have a surprise guest or two and, uh, have the little first-time jitters worn off. I am so happy to be back. The Masquerade Podcast, the original Joshy Cox. You're listening to it nowhere else, right here on Spotify. Good night, everyone.